the books podcast presented by Tim Haig. This is the books podcast with me, Tim Haig, and I'm sitting with Mike Ripley in in a pub, which uh, that's that's pretty much your your uh, natural habitat, is it, Mike? Yeah, I'm as part, a writer. I I'm mean. part of the furniture, you might say. Yeah. So the book we've got in front of us is Mr. Campion's Farewell. It says um, Marjorie Alliums, Albert Campion. Now. It's got your name on as well, but in, in smaller writing. Why is that? Why, why have we got uh, two, two writers? Well, uh, we've probably got three, actually, um, which is why it's a bit crowded on that page. Um, it's a continuation of a continuation. Continuation fiction is all the rage at the moment. It is. Jill Painter Walsh is doing uh, Lord Peter Whimsy. Has everybody been for does. A while, yes. um, everybody does uh, Sherlock Holmes and, and James, James Bond. Bond. Yeah. And, of course, we've had. Um, uh, we're going to have Hercule Poirot. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> as well. Uh, and indeed in America, there's Mickey Spillane's Mike Hammer is also uh, being continued. <clears throat> but in my case, it's um, picking up from where somebody else started. Uh, what happened was Marjorie Allingham created the detective, Albert Campion, which is why it's quite rightly Marjorie Allingham's Albert Campion's her character. When she died in 1966... Who killed her? Um, breast cancer. Oh. That's a bummer. Kills the joke, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. It does, doesn't um, it? But uh, when she died, uh, she left a book unfinished. <clears throat> it was called Cargo of Eagles. Now, her husband, or rather her widower, there was a chap called Pip, Philip Youngman Carter. She was actually Mrs. Marjorie Carter in real life. Uh, he finished it off and uh, did quite a good job of it. Got re- good reviews. It was published posthumously after two years after Marjorie died, but it was so well received that the publisher said, you know, we can't have Albert Campion died off with his, killed off with his um, creator, so can you keep them going? And young Regatta said, who was a journalist and a writer himself, said, I'll have a go. Uh, And he wrote two more, which were called Mr. Campion's Falcon and Mr. Campion's Farthing. Now, he then started a third... And then he died, and this was within three years of Marjorie dying. So we're in about 1969, and we've got four chapters of an Albert Campion novel with no title, no plan, no scheme, no plot, nothing to say where he was going to go, and for 40-odd years, no author. Uh, the manuscript passed down eventually to the Marjorie Allingham Society, and uh, I'm ashamed to say I've been a member for years and didn't know about it. But when I did find out about it, um, uh, I foolishly offered to have a go at finishing it off, and they foolishly accepted. And because you're a, you're a fan, aren't you? You're a. I am a great fan, great fan indeed. Have been since I was a teenager. In fact, I th- I worked out I was reading my first out Marjorie Allingham about the time she died, actually in 1966. So there were only four chapters because one of the things I I looked. Uh, I didn't know that when I started reading it. I was trying to figure out where you'd taken over. That's what everybody sit, try. They all try to see the join. Yeah, and uh, it's, it's fairly seamless, though. You, 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 you've got yeah. the you've got the manner and the and the uh, the the jaunty sort of dialogue. Uh, well, in, yeah. In fact, I mean, a, a real true aficionado would be able to tell uh, tell you that the first four chapters are the least funny. I hope they would say that anyway. Because uh, absolutely. Oh, you, you did make me laugh, but not, not in the first yeah, yeah. four chapters. <laughs> because, um, what Youngman Carter, the Marjorie's widow, what he, um, what he made up for in plots and speed and pacing of the writing, 
he definitely lacked in the humour. And the, the, the books he wrote are missing the Campion humour or the Allingham humour. He makes an attempt, goes. though. It's just it's rather stilted. He does, so. he does. But it's, uh, it's not, uh, <clears throat> it wasn't successful. That's the one thing all the critics say about, about his books, his version. They just lack the, the charm and the warmth. Because Marcher was very warm in her humour. It wasn't nasty, it wasn't sarcastic. I think her husband was a bit, a bit more severe. Um, but uh, so I, what I tried to do is put that back into his structure, if you like, his uh, uh, and the setup that he'd left me. I was going to say plot, but he didn't really leave me a plot. Did he have any input into her books when she was writing them, or did he just take them over? No, he did. Uh, I mean, in the very early days, um, he collaborated with her a lot, uh, or she always said he did, on the um, <coughs> on the plots, and she. Funnily enough, in the 1930s, she said she got all her best jokes from Pip, uh, uh, which he may have told good jokes, but he wasn't very good at writing them. Uh, but uh, for the very f for the first few books, I think in the 1930s, she actually dictated them, and he wrote them down, he even typed them up, clean clean up the copy for printers, for publishers. Um, and there was a lot of involvement. He, of course, he was also an artist, and he designed the book jackets and a lot of things went into them. And there's a little figure of Campion on the back, which is actually drawn by young man Carter. That was his logo. Well, t tell me about Campion. I know he's, he's been on TV, uh, one of the Doctor Whos. Peter Ben Davison played, That's right, played yeah. him on, on TV uh, with uh, uh, Brian Glover oh, playing the... Uh, the wonderful Brian Glover, who the, was absolutely the brilliant. as the psychic who was called Lug. But... Um, but quite often on TV they change the character. I mean, Morse was very different on TV than he was in the books. Um, tell me about Campion. He's 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 not a policeman. I mean, he's not he's not a, you know uh, Inspector Allen who, who uh, you know the Nile Marsh. Well, he one who is he wasn't much of a policeman actually. Uh, and but he, uh, he he's not he's not Lord Peter Whimsy either. He's the other. closer to the. Yeah, so who is he? What, what's his USP? What is the point of he of Campion? was initially set up. Uh, very much as a reaction to, uh, I, it's fairly obvious to me, to Lord Peter Whimsey, who came out first came out about seven years before the first Campion book, and it's a sort of combination between Lord Peter Whimsey and um, Bertie Wooster. And Marjorie Allen was a great P.G. Woodhouse fan, and at one point she actually wrote to P.G. Woodhouse saying, "Why don't you write detective stories?" And Woodhouse wrote back and said, oh, "I couldn't possibly have anything nasty happen to Jeeves and Bertie." But um, <clears throat> so she was a great fan, and she was just like she wanted wanted to inject a gayness. That was the word in the in the twenties, uh, and a lightness of touch because Dorothy L. Sayers was very intellectual writer, and her Lord Peter Whimsy was you know she was intellectual. She did a marvelous translation of uh, the Divine Comedy. Yes, yeah. uh, she was she was a, a genuine. In fact, in one of the one of the books, I can't remember which, one of the Whimsy books, I think one of the vital clues is given to you in medieval French. Now, I don't think there were very many readers who, you know, they'd know it was a clue, but they wouldn't necessarily understand it. But Allingham was, was much more fun-loving. Uh, they are, they are lighter. Nothing, nothing terribly horrible so. happens. Yeah, and I think, I think the very first outing of Campion, he was, a, he was a minor character in The Crime of the Black Dudley, and he was very much um, a bit of a spoof of a Lord Peter Whimsy character. Uh, and that gradually changed then into what... Um, <coughs> I mean, him looking like an idiot became his best weapon. Well, the, you you play that card as well yeah. a great deal. That, that is his USP. Everybody isn't it? underestimates him. Yeah. Everybody thinks he's just a twit or a toff or a fool. Uh, and Marjorie played up to this um, <coughs> this 
aristocratic hint that um, <clears throat> he was actually higher up the social ladder than Lord Peter Whimsey, because Albert Campion has always said it's not his real name. His real name is just Rudolf K. And then it should be, somebody begins to say, K, K what? It stops. And it, she never gave it away, but it, it's hinted that he had real royal connections. And once in an Ameri interview with an American newspaper about 1939, or 1946, she said, they said, who, who were you talking about? She thought it was George VI, of course. <laughs> and as a joke, and they believed it. Uh, <clears throat> but it was very much, I think, based on the young Duke of York. Uh, uh, but it was, it was definitely had this... Um, this definitely royal connection, which led to a lot of his early escapades being involved with rather strange little kingdoms in Middle Europe and foreign exploits and things. But I say escapades because that's what they were. They weren't really detective stories. They weren't whodunits. He was an adventurer rather than a, uh, a detective. So in, a, in effect, they really are th sort of light-hearted thrillers rather than whodunits, which, for which I'm greatly relieved, because I don't think I could write a whodunit if, uh, if my life depended on it. We'll see about that. We, in, what you have written is, um, is very interestingly, uh, it, I was going to say it's a period piece, but it's actually, it's two period pieces, because it, it's set in 1969, and yet Campion's a man out of time then. You say earlier on, and I'm sure you've got it from her, that he was at prep school in 1910. Yeah, so he's, he's a man in his early 70s yeah, at, at well, any rate. Yeah, well, he's 69. He's 69 in yeah. 1969. And he's going to stay 69 for a while. <laughs> if I've got anything to do with it. But, uh, no, the point, the point is, yes, I mean, his, his chronology is, is well documented. He was born in 1900, which is nice, because it makes him one of the last Victorians. Mm -hmm. And there's a line in the book where, uh, which is set in 1969, Year of the Moon Landing. And uh, well, which of course, and again, yeah. the, one of the points you make is that he, when he was born, man hadn't flown in an That's airplane. That's right. It was still you know, and a he, few years he, away from on TV. Flight. He would have watched. Um, it's they like had a, TV. Yeah, it was an amazing yeah. thing to go from from no well, flight and to he, the moon. And you know, and he was saying, look, you know, I know I realize I'm old. I'm too old for this the rough stuff and this running, shooting, jumping, chasing criminals business. But you know, I'm not dead yet. And he does appreciate these things. I think that was Marjorie Anningham's attitude. What inspired me was something she wrote about um, in an interview about um, what do you think about the the young people and their pop music. This is about 1964. Mm. She, she said, well, it's awfully loud and raucous, and I don't understand any of it. But when I was their age, my parents used to say, what's that music you're listening to? It's loud and raucous, and we don't understand it, so it must be okay. And she was really, you know, went with it, and she was interested in the energy it produced, and... and uh, and the freedom it gave young people. Now, her husband, Pitt, was, was uh, although he was the same age as Marjorie, was I'll bet he didn't like anything no, he like didn't. as much, did he? He didn't. You can and tell in the first four in chapters. In his books, yeah, and uh, in his, the books he wrote, there are some very rude comments about, um, and this was written in 1968, remember, about uh, pop music and screeches and caterwauling and all this sort of thing. And I'd just love to be able to say uh, that, you know, the people he was criticising then um were who were top of the pops or the number one in the charts were still well they were headlining at glastonbury in 2012 you know aged older than he was then it, uh, you're right though even in 1968 people were getting pop music wrong i remember anthony burgess writing something very rude mm, about the mm. beatles as late as that yeah. when frankly he should have known better <laughs> he should have known that they were as good as they were and but he just couldn't see he was just it was just blind to it. 
It's it's a period piece then in in that it's set well, in you're, you're absolutely right. It's it's almost had to be treated like writing a historical novel. Yes. Uh, but it, it also it, the, a lot of the the dialogue harks back to an earlier time. Yeah. And of course in a way although there are there are details from 1969 this story and 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 Campion the story could almost have happened in the 1930s. Um apart from the drugs Apart from the drugs, yes, yeah. but you could have used something else in there. Yeah. Um, and it could have happened in the 1930s it because it's yeah. set in this little Suffolk yeah. village but that's, that's, um, with a, a hierarchy of social yeah. strata and but so on. But to do anything else would be um, doing a disservice to the uh, character, I thought. I Did mean, you? you? You didn't consider bringing him into, into uh, 2014? Oh, no, no. I mean, he'd be very old, but you, you could have brought him for... Characters no, are always no, uh, staying no, the same no, age. He'd, he'd be 114. <laughs> yes, I mean, he's not Hercule Poirot, who started at 68 and ended up about 130. Um, but, um, uh, no, I mean, that, the difference being, because Hercule Poirot is timeless. He's actually a timeless character. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. The beauty of camping was that Marjorie Allingham in her lifetime, allowed him to age. And you saw him get older, and you saw him get married and have, have a kid, and get more and more mature. And his persona and his character changed. It is one of the big decisions you have to make if you're going to have a, yep. a, a recurring character, is that didn't happen with any of the others. Because, I mean, Dorothy L. says gave up on, on Lord Peter Wims in, before the Second World War. So he stayed almost in, amb in aspic. Now, Jill Payton Walsh, who has taken on uh, whimsy has actually moved him on to the 1950s so he is older and a bit more wise and a bit more mature but uh, I already had that I had a, a, a backstory of 40 years of that and so to do anything different uh, would be a bit dodgy and I don't what else could one do and uh, I mean the, the scales of uh, crimes and misdemeanors that he's involved in are very traditional and yes they could have been in the 1930s but I mean that's the essence of a good plot, I think. It could have been, at any point, how he reacts to it. And he's a man out of time, but, but not... not, But not out of touch. It's not out of touch, exactly. That's well put. Yes. So we, let, we need to talk a little bit about, about uh, not the plot, because I don't want to give anything away, but about the, the, the circumstances in which Campion finds himself having another, another jape, another adventure. Um, and he's in this, this weird little village... Which, um, it, it, have you based it on a real place? I have, uh, but I mean, I, it, that is, is typical, to that's textbook Marjorie Allingham, having a weird place somewhere in East Anglia. With all these she was so good sinister yeah, denizens. And she, uh, that's, that's straight out of her, her um, master class. I mean, she was brilliant at that. And the, the places that, um, that I grew up with in reading her books, are on, based on the Essex coast or the, the Suffolk interior, uh, I thought I couldn't do any better. But what Pip left was a description. I mean, he didn't leave, leave very much in terms of plot. But what he did leave was a description of this place, which he called Lindsay Carfax. And from the way he described it, that struck me as being, that must be based on Lavenham in Suffolk, which I knew, I knew very well. Um, and uh, I, I, I can't prove that it is, or whether, I don't even know whether Pip ever went there. I'm sure he did. But... <clears throat> to me, it was so resonant at that place that I took that uh, as my mental map. Like. I'll tell you and what once else. Once I had had that in my mind, everything else followed. Tell you what else Pip does, which which you which you don't. It is one of the differences. 
Pip uh, uh, approved of some of the characters. He obviously really, really likes his champion, the niece uh, uh, who uh, is living in this village and so on. But the, the characters that he doesn't like, he really sneers at. Yeah, some of them. Uh, uh, there is uh, there's one character that he obviously clearly liked, who's an artist, who I didn't. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you fixed that. I fixed that, yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. But, um, <clears throat> but I, can see, I can see that particular character being... Pip's idea of um, what he was like 30 years before. And this is a sheep uh, a sheep area. What, at one this, point. Uh, at one point. But the, the, there's a secret society yeah. still still uh, running this running the yeah. village. To all it's almost it like a guild. Yeah. Uh, except a, a, a secret one. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's one of the, the famous Suffolk wool towns, of which there are many. Uh, Lavenham really is one uh, that made its, made, became incredibly rich in the 15th century. Um, and uh, uh, and that's why you see in Suffolk you see these huge churches, absolutely massive flint churches. And you've got one in Lindsay yeah. Carfax, uh, which um, are, are just ridiculous given the size of the population of the village now. But of course, then there would have been a lot more a bigger population, and uh, they were all incredibly rich. And the rich people put the money into the church to buy their place in heaven. And Campion hears that there's some. Odd goings on. Yeah. So he just he just trolls in, doesn't he? To, we go. He goes. He's particularly. He's asked. He, he's put it. It's put to him by his old mate, uh, Charlie Luke, who's a policeman in London, who'd heard things on the grapevine, and he said, "This is a bit of mystery. Should um, intrigue you." And Campion says, "Well, you know, not really very interested." Um, he says, there's, "There's this weird place in Suffolk, and it's run by a secret society called the Carters. Except they're not terribly secret. No. Half of you know who half of them are, and so they're not very good at being a secret society. Well, um, English, English secret absolutely. society. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So this is like the the Suffolk Mafia, which is not very good. <laughs> uh, not very good at their jobs. And um, and anyway, Luke tries to get him interested, and they say, "Well, one of the things, one of the things is that your uh, there's a, a lady called Fitton, Eliza Jane Fitton." And Campion says, good, you don't mean, yes, it's the niece of your wife, whose name was Amanda Fitton. Um, and she lives there with this strange artist guy, and he's rumoured to be one of the carders. And that gets is what gets Campion interested. So he goes up there, ostensibly as a tourist, and as soon as he arrives, he discovers that his niece has been uh, involved in a near-fatal accident. And whether she was the intended victim or not uh, is one of the mysteries that... Um, he starts starts to get the juices flowing, and Cameron, even though now he's you know getting on a bit, um, he can't resist getting involved. And the whole point of the story, well, why it's called Mr. Cameron's Farewell, is that he eventually realizes that perhaps he's a bit too old. Well, I got the impression you were you were writing him out and you would, right. you you were retiring him, but Seven House of uh, Persuaded oh, yes. well, you to well, do no, another he, one. It's not called Mr. Cameron's Funeral. It's just, <laughs> it's just called Mr. Cameron's Farewell because he's. He's decided he's, he's getting too old for this, and the world is changing, and it's changing faster than he ever thought it would. Uh, and uh, it's time for him just to sit back and, and take a back seat. So he's retiring. It's a farewell to his life of adventuring, as he calls it. Um, but it doesn't mean he's, he's, he's not quite ready for his pipe and slippers yet. Mike, I fell in love with your writing. Then uh, this is great fun. I really enjoyed Good, this. Good, thank you. I fell in your love with your writing because you had a, a series of books about a character called Angel. Oh, oh yes. Um, and if I've had to clean up my act for this one. <laughs> yeah, oh, but Angel was. was I adored Angel, I, and I'm going to ask if there are any more. As I, if I count on my shelf, 
um, if my shelf is is um, up to date, there were about thirteen or fourteen. Fifteen. Were well, the fifteen? Oh, mm, I must. You're missing one. one. Yeah. Oh, I shall pop back and find a copy. So, but um, Angel, the last one was nearly ten years ago. No, no, no? actually five, uh, five six years ago, ago. two thousand and eight. And that was done deliberately as an end to the saga, um, not uh, for um, for people who don't know. I mean, one of the uh, the main characters in the Angel books was a cat. It was a psychopathic black <laughs> was, cat yes. called, called Springsteen. Springsteen. Because uh, Angel was a musician. That's <clears throat> right, uh, and a lot of other things. But uh, it got to the stage where you know it couldn't really keep. Uh, realistically keep him going in in real time so uh the last book was going to, was not the death of angel but it was the death of springsteen <laughs> which and is of, a great title isn't and it? of course he um he goes out in a blaze of glory uh solves the case defends his master uh and and um uh gets a viking funeral now if you get all that in it's um it's called angels unaware is the book and uh, it coincides with Angel becoming a father. Mm -hmm. So you have the death of Springsteen and the creation of a, a, a young angel. Yeah, Angelette. You, you, you've tried which to. It's like the circle of life. That you've tried to finish it. Angel before. You got I him have, married and I you have thought got that. Him that off. Be yes, and that didn't work. They wanted yes. everybody wanted him back. So he had to come back. But I know he's not dead. He's just he's different. He's in a different place. He's moved on. He's now, um, now living in Cambridge and um, he's working, has a job. Uh, for an all-female private detective agency. Well, I'm going to organise a write-in campaign to uh, to uh, persuade you oh, well, to I, I, bring I, Angel yes. back. I mean, I I would I haven't killed him off, and uh, the books are now all being reissued again, um, and uh, so they're coming out gradually. In fact, we've got I must have eleven or twelve of them out by the end of this year, and they're all going out as e-books. So we, for the first time, so we're getting a few new readers. Um, and there is talk of a short story anthology with all the Angel short stories and some other short stories that I've done coming out later this year. I don't know whether that'll come off. I hope it does. But there are no plans for a full-length, new full-length novel. Well, you've got uh, the new full-length Campion. And, yes, Campion. And Mr. Campion's Fox, I think it's that's going to be. be the, that's the next one. When's that one going? Because this, this is already out. Mr. Campion's Fox already came out. out in April. Yeah. Uh, when, when is the next one? Fox, hopefully, will come out about this time next year. Jolly May good. June. Well, I will look forward to it. I'm certainly going to read it. Uh, Mike, I'm picking the book up now. My copy is a is a biggish paperback, and it's eleven ninety nine. The hardback not, not actually out yet. <laughs> no, I know it's not. But uh, the the hardback uh, is is out now, and yes. um, I recommend it. Good, thank you. Thank you very much. Pleasure. That was the books podcast with Tim Haig. The books podcast is produced by Green Shoot. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com, and Tim can be contacted on Tim at green-shoot dot com.